Welcome to Off the Record, where we take a deep dive into the personal and professional lives of business leaders in the Twin Cities. Kathy Rabadou, market president and publisher of the Minneapolis St. Paul Business Journal, along with Dave Faust, president and CEO of Platinum Bank, team up to listen, learn, and laugh along with our guests as we go Off the Record. On today's episode of Off the Record, on this beautiful winter, I think we can still call it winter day, we have Allison Gettings. She's the president and CEO of Red Wing Shoe Company. So I am so excited. We were just saying we haven't seen each other for like seven years. Your daughter was like one and a half last time I saw you. And you were not president and CEO of Red Wing yet, which I'm so excited to hear about that. So give us a quick little elevator pitch. My elevator pitch. Yeah. 30 seconds. 30 seconds. Well, Red Wing Shoe Company is a family business, as many people know. And my family has been involved in Red Wing Shoe Company. I'm the fourth generation. So I'm following in my father's footsteps, who followed in his father's footsteps, who followed in his father's footsteps. I'm the woman following in my father's <laughs> footsteps. <laughs> and so it's been part of my life forever. It's generational in my family. And it's funny. I think I told you this when we met years ago, that growing up, my dad would only wear Red Wing shoes. And he used to say, real men only wear Red Wing. And I still remember that to this day. This is when I lived in Ohio. And then here, I feel like it's full circle in Minnesota sitting here talking to you. What we want to do is learn more about you and kind of growing up and where you grew up and kind of how that went, sports, jobs, and things like that. And then we'll get into talking about Red Wing today and things you're doing. I know you have so many exciting things going on. Sure. Yeah. So I was born in Red Wing, um, Red Wing, Minnesota. <laughs> it's, it's a town. It's not just the name of the boots. It's a town. And it's about an hour south of mm-hmm. the Twin Cities. Beautiful area. Beautiful part of the world. Absolutely. It's right on the river. It's an old historic downtown that's been you know, lovingly capped up and renovated. Yeah, it's a beautiful part of the world. We lived close to downtown. So when I was a kid, we would just walk from our house to downtown where our offices are. I would walk down in the summer to my dad's office and ride up the elevator and write on the whiteboards of the other folks who work there. When you were that young, did you understand? Because obviously it was your father, your grandfather, and in your fourth generation. Did you get what it was when you were walking in there? Did you think, oh, I'm just going to my dad's work? Or did you get the full scope of what Red Wing was at a young age? No, I don't think so. When you're a kid and mm-hmm. you're just going to your dad, that's it. It's just, I'm a kid. I'm going to my dad's office. And just a lot of shoes here. Yeah. Yeah. A lot, of, <laughs> a lot of shoes, a lot of fun people. A lot of the people that my dad worked with were also friends outside of the office, right? Mm-hmm. So this was just the community. This was just the neighborhood. And so your mom threw you out of the office and said, go bug your dad at work, right? You know, and your mom got busy or did your mom work in the business too? Nope. She was at home. And I don't remember her ever throwing us out of the house. <laughs> she probably did. I think we were pretty ruckus. But that was what it was like growing up in a small town back in the 80s, mm-hmm. right? You just, you, in the summer, you just leave the house and you terrorize the neighborhood. We had rollerblades, we had bikes, and we'd walk to the, I don't know, a little local store to get baseball cards, or we'd walk to the library. It was right downtown. Yeah. Parks the community took care of each other. They yeah. knew each other, right? All of our friends lived just houses away from us. And that was the vibe. Fun. Did you play sports or get involved in any activities growing up? I was never so much into sports. I dabbled in a bunch of different things, but I was a theater kid. So I did music and theater. That's what I loved. Did you sing? 
I sang. We have a gorgeous local theater in Red Wing called mm. the Sheldon. If you guys have been there, it's a jewel box theater. It's just beautiful. And so as a kid, I had the opportunity to engage in community plays on that stage, which was an incredible opportunity. Is there a play that stands out about you uh, in your performance? When I was a little girl, I was in Our Town, the play Our Town, and I had one line and it, it was great. <laughs> Did you nail it? Yeah. I nailed it. <laughs> I was in the paper. <laughs> You're in school. And then did you work at all while you were in school? We lived in Red Wing when I was little. So we moved when I was about nine years old up to the country just outside of Hastings. Mm -hmm. And then I went to school in a few different places. I went to school for a couple of years in Hastings. And then I ended up at Hill Murray for high school. Oh, Dave's ears just perked up. He's like, wait, I graduated from Hill Murray. You did. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I went to Hill Murray. I'm a lot older than you, but. I did not play hockey. For a later episode. I did not play (laughs) hockey. (laughs) No, but I did the theater program there, which was awesome. They have a fantastic theater program. I think they still do. Yeah. I didn't work. My mom grew up having to work so much. I think she wanted to kind of protect that for my brother and Mm -hmm. I. She wanted us to have have our childhood. So we weren't allowed to work outside of the home, but we had a lot of chores. So we grew up having to take care of the house, basically. Oh, I love that. Yeah. You're in school, so you're at Hill Murray, and you have theater as your interest, and then you're getting ready to leave school. Tell us what that was like. What were your decisions? When you're that age, I think most people at that age have no idea what they're going to do in their lives, right? I was no different. I had not considered joining the family business at all. So there had been no conversation of that. No, through no, when you were younger, high school, or anything like, hey, Allison, you know, what's the plan? No, my parents and my dad in particular wanted to make sure that if we ever went into the family business, it's because we really wanted to be there, not because we felt a sense of obligation to be there. Mm -hmm. That was important to him. And so we were never pressured, never talked about this is a path that you you should consider taking. So I didn't think about business at all. I was into writing. I was into theater. I really loved psychology. My mother at that point had gotten her master's in psychology and was acting as a therapist. And that continues to fascinate me today. And so I decided to go to St. Olaf. I wanted to study English and psychology, which I did. And I also really loved their study abroad program. So that was one of the biggest draws for me because I love to travel. So I went there, I ended up doing the global semester, which is, I mean, most people listening to this podcast are probably not looking at colleges today for themselves (laughs) or maybe their their kids. It was a phenomenal life-changing experience to do a study abroad, semester abroad with St. Olaf. What was life-changing about, where did you go, first of all, and what was life-changing about So we did, we started in Switzerland and we spent, I don't know, two weeks at Switzerland. We went to the United, United Nations headquarters And then we went to Turkey and we traveled. I was with a cohort of 24 kids, just so you're with the same 24 kids the whole five months that you're gone, plus a professor. And then the professor's wife came with us as well. So it's like you get really close to this group of students. And so, yeah, we went to Switzerland and then we went to Turkey for two weeks and we spent a week in Istanbul and then a week traveling through the countryside. And then we went to, I'm going to get the, we went to Egypt for a month. And we studied ancient Egyptology out of Cairo, which was just an incredible experience. 
And we went to India for a month and we studied the ancient religions that came out of India. And so we went to temples and we traveled all throughout India. We spent a few weeks in China. So we spent a week in Shanghai and a week in Beijing. I think we had Christmas in Beijing. We went to Thank well, God. Who has yeah. right. So I mean, right. I mean, this sounds one. much Magical. different than much different than my husband's uh, St. John's <laughs> study abroad program. So here you had been in Red Wing and then Hastings, these small areas, mm-hmm. and then you said it's life changing. That exposure. Tell us about that. Like you said, it was life changing, and how that kind of set you for what you did next or yeah. what you decided to do. I feel like. I should finish. So we did a month in, yeah. in India and then also a month in Hong Kong and a month in South Korea. And for me, you know, I grew up in a family that lived very comfortably, right? Mm-hmm. And my family felt it was very important not to ever, you know, showcase that they had enough money to buy groceries or whatever. But we didn't have to worry about money when I was growing up in mm-hmm. my family. And so I didn't have a lot of exposure to how different people lived, per se, and traveling to countries where there's just an incredible wealth divide, right? I mean, there's a wealth divide here in the United States, for sure. But in places like India, we went to the slums and we got to see what that was like. Mm. And we talked to people who had such different life experiences from a religious perspective, from a wealth perspective, from a you know cultural perspective. The cuisine that you eat is so different from what we have here in Minnesota or what I grew up with in Minnesota. We didn't, you know, we didn't eat Asian food when I was growing up. Yeah, yeah, casserole. Yeah, we had pizza getty, <laughs> chicken and potatoes. And that was fantastic. So it was just a really eye-opening experience for me to be able to mm. see how people live differently than, than what we have here. So you decided to do that on your own, or did you get nudged that way? And what were your expectations when you were getting on the plane to the first destination? I was not nudged. This was all me. I loved travel. And we traveled when I was a kid. So my parents took us places growing up for sure. So I think I just, I had that itch and I still do. I I love to travel. I love to experience new things. And what were my expectations on the plane? Get it. You know, I think part of it is just nervous, this like nervousness. But I also remember one of the things that we talked about before embarking on this semester as a group was, this is going to change your life in, in some way as any major travel experience does. Mm -hmm. And you don't know what it's going to be. You don't know how it's going to change you. You don't know how it's going to impact you. And so I remember feeling the sense of trepidation around, I'm going to be different when I come home. I don't know how, and what is that going to be like? Because generally speaking, I think I liked who I was before I left, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So how will the me be different? It's a little bit scary. But also exciting. So how would you frame up how you were yeah. different as a result of that experience? I think just having a much better sense of who I am in the context of life. Maybe that doesn't make a lot of sense. But I think a lot of us know when we're faced with a lot of new experiences mm-hmm. where we're in uncomfortable grounds because it's unfamiliar and we're navigating new friendships with people. We're navigating new cuisines. And if you're living in India for the first time and all you've ever had is Midwestern food, that in and of itself is a life-changing experience, (laughs) you know, with the spice. You get home and how do you feel it really shaped your next steps? For me, I think it was a lot about building confidence Mm. that I 
can go through hard experiences, that I can be exposed to a lot of different things. And it's just an opportunity to get to know myself better as I'm faced with, you know, whatever it is that life has to throw you. But then there's also an element of understanding and compassion for Mm -hmm. the fact that everyone has a different journey on this life. So even my fellow students were coming at this from a different place and their experience with the global semester was different. And then people who traveled with us, the tour guides, the teachers, the people that we met on the street who you know, were friendly to us or not friendly to us, those stories stay with us. And as we go through life today and the role that I have today, I take that with me, right? To mm-hmm. just try to be as kind as possible because you never know where someone is coming from or what kind of background they had that colors the way they show up today. So that was what semester in school or year? What year? I was a junior. Okay. So you, you my you, first semester of you, my junior. You show year. back up on campus. You probably see it in a whole different light, right? You're looking at it through a different lens. What were you thinking about what was next? You know, as you enter the senior year, kind of what's beyond that? What was going through your head? When I went through college, I had decided to be a neuropsychologist. So I studied psychology and neuroscience, and that's what I was really passionate about. What were you hoping to do with that? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't totally sure. I think I I was going to get my master's degree in something, and I was starting to explore that. And I remember having an experience where I was doing a research project. So my senior year, I was doing an individual study, an independent study with my advisor, and we were studying the effects of alcohol on the mu receptors in the brain. So like how alcohol affects the pleasure sensing aspects of your brain. I don't know what it is anymore. And I did studies on mice. And this was so dramatic for me. I spent like a, my <laughs> senior year in the basement of the psychology building there, Holland, by myself with mice. I'm not going to go into the details, but it, it was like, I, not, I can't do this. Come here, Henry. Let me see your reaction. Like, it does not end well for the mice. Right. You know? <laughs> and so I had this like existential crisis of my whole life. I'm in the sciences. I'm studying psychology. I'm going to go off and, you know, get my doctorate and my master's in, in something on this vein. And, and I said, I can't do this. It's not for me. I can't do this. I want to work in a team. I want to have more of a collaborative environment. And, and who knows? I think, you know, a lot of people in psychology can have that. But it flipped a switch in me where I said, I need to do something different with my life. And what am I going to do? And I literally had no idea. I felt like the whole world was now this ocean of opportunity. Mm-hmm. And it was super overwhelming. And I had been dating my now husband. And I remember sitting down with him. And he's like, you should go into the family business. And I'd never <laughs> considered it before. <laughs> this was never on my radar. But I thought, you know, I want to do something where I can impact people. Like I want to do something where I feel like I can live a purpose, where I can make a difference in people's lives. And I think my father had the opportunity to do that, right? Because you're in a seat where you have a lot of influence. Mm -hmm. And so that was the first step for me. Tell us about that conversation with your dad, how it started. And I do you remember the conversation? I will never forget it. Yeah. Did you talk to your mom first? That's what usually... No. Okay. I don't know. I didn't. I talked. Not to everybody dad. talks. Every, to mom everybody in our family day. talks to mom first before they come to me. Well, that's so it. Just... That's if they're wanting you to write a check. <laughs> <laughs> that makes more sense. Now, so now it's clear. No, I do. I usually talk to my mom first. You're, it's tracking for me. But in this case, I talked to my dad, and 
I remember we're sitting in his pickup truck and we were driving somewhere. I have no idea where we're going. He was visiting me on campus for some reason. You know, I'm sitting in the passenger seat. He's sitting in the driver's seat. And I was like, I just have been thinking a lot about what I want to do with my life. And I think I want to go into the family business. And he had tears, you guys. He had tears because, you know, I think for him, he was really thinking through, you know, what's the next chapter Mm -hmm. for this company? And what am I going to do? And that you came to that on your own, right? Uh, Not from him saying, hey, you know, bumping you, Sam, you know, do you want to do this? I can just imagine you coming to that decision on your own had to be super meaningful for him. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just lovely. And so we talked about how would I get there and what the expectations would be. And I decided to take a year off of school and not go right into the business. So I worked for Pacer Center, which Mm. is a nonprofit that helps kids with disabilities. That was an amazing experience as well. Phenomenal organization, if you haven't heard of it. And so I took a year off. And then I, after that, I did. I went right into the business at the lowest rung and worked my way up. Tell us about that decision of coming in and what was that position where you started first day, here you are coming in and they're like, oh, it's the boss's daughter. I know. Actually, so Mark Erdahl, who mm-hmm. I followed, he was the CEO before me. Yep. <laughs> CEO before me. <laughs> he worked as the vice president of our global business at that time and of strategy. And he was the guy that my dad pointed to and said, work with him. He'll help you figure out you know, where you should start in the company. When I first started talking to him, you guys, one of the opportunities was, well, we have an office in Amsterdam. And I'm sure that they have you know, <laughs> need for, for something. I'm like, oh my God, it'd be amazing. I'm this is go great. I'm going back to global, my global experience. Oh my gosh, best <laughs> job ever. Um, that role did not pan out. I don't know. They, just, they did not need the chairman's daughter there for whatever reason. So I started as an associate project manager Mm -hmm. working in the product development world on a brand that no longer exists called Comfort Casuals. It was one of our failed endeavors at Red Wing Shoe Company. I navigated spreadsheets. I ordered samples and tracked samples and made sure everybody had what they needed to get product launched. So it was tedious. It was a lot of data. It was a lot of figuring out on my own two feet what needs to be done tomorrow to get where we need, you know, to be successful in that Mm -hmm. role. So were you gaining a love for the family business at that time? Or were you saying, Hey, this might not be exactly what I want to do. It was a tough few years and tough in the sense that like any 20 year old, I'm doing grunt work, which is exactly what I should have been doing. Mm -hmm. You know, it was the right place to start. That doesn't mean that it was fun. (laughs) (laughs) And I worked with a lot of people who were a lot older than I was. Mm. And so I had this idea, you know, when you're in college, you have this idea of like, I'm going to go to happy hours and, you know, we're going to go out (laughs) with my coworker. There was none of that. There was no, no, you know, social hour after work because most people were where I am today. They're like, okay, I got to go pick up the kids. (laughs) Yeah. Got my life. It was fun for sure. There are just amazing people who work at Red Wing Shoe and and who did back then. It looked a lot different. So was it fun? Was it like an amazing experience? Yeah, it was an amazing experience. And I have lasting relationships with people who I worked with back then who are, who are awesome. I love yeah. that. So there was yeah. no like, who's going to be next person up in this seat in the company or those kind of decisions or those kind of uh, wranglings or, you know, who's the successor, right? I mean, it was never clear that I would be the next CEO. Mm. 
we've had a couple CEOs who weren't part of the family who came after my dad when he retired. So it was never a sure thing for me. I think one of the things that my dad always said was, we'll see how it goes, right? You really have to prove yourself. You have Mm -hmm. to work through the business. He suggested that I go to business school. And so I I got my MBA at Carlson. So this, you know, from a young age, from the time I was in my 20s, this has been something that I had my eyes set on and that I worked really hard at achieving, but never... It was never assumed. It was never assumed. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So you're in there and you're doing product things and spreadsheets and all this. And then tell us about like next steps and where you moved on from that role. Yeah. One of the just incredible opportunities that I had as being a family member is I was able to move through a lot of different parts of the organization. Mm. So there was always an eye toward what do I need to learn if I were going to take on the CEO role? What parts of the business would I need to be exposed to? What relationships would I need to build? What skill sets would I need to have? So from the time that I started, there was a plan for you know where would I move next? So I never spent more than two or three years in any role. Which is a good amount of time. Two it's or three amount, years is yeah. a good amount of time to understand. It's, yeah, it's enough time to understand, Go through the to seasons, build relationships. Yep finally figure out what the heck I'm doing (laughs) and then get thrown into a new situation Mm -hmm. completely where I have no idea what I'm doing. That's something that I've become really comfortable with. I started in as a project manager and then I worked for our Vast brand and I became more of a product manager. So I worked on the product themselves. I worked with designers. I would go on development trips to our factories overseas, which was an amazing experience. And I learned at that point a lot about how our products are made, mm. you know, how the design process works, how the development process works, how we decide what products to make, um, how we sell it, all of that, all of that was a huge piece there. Then what did I do? Then I actually, I left, I left the business. I don't know if you knew that, but I left the business for almost three years. No. Yes. And at this point, my husband had moved to California. Well, we weren't married at that time. So my boyfriend had moved to California. (laughs) (laughs) And I was really unsure of, Mm. is this something that I want to do for the rest of my life? You know, I was still pretty young. I was probably in my late 20s. And it felt like if I keep going on this path, this is where I'm going to be forever. Mm -hmm. And at that age, that was scary. I wasn't sure. And I had a keen appreciation for the fact that if I decided to take another path, then the future of of ownership at Red Wing Shoe Company would be different. You know, mm-hmm. what would that look like? Would we sell the business? Would we, you know, what would we do? So I felt a really just heavy sense of of responsibility. And you know, we talked earlier about not wanting to feel like I was obliged to work there. I was unsure. Am I working here because I feel a sense of obligation to uphold the family tradition and to keep it. Because now you're in it. You made now the I'm decision. In it, you know, in, right. Yeah. And there is expectation. I'm, mm-hmm. the, I'm the only person in my generation who's involved in the business. What happened? Was there an event or some trigger that besides your boyfriend even set him aside? Because <laughs> he wasn't, he was going to come back at some point. In yeah, time. We yeah. all know that. We, we all, we come, all back. come back. We all come so, back. But, but was there some trigger event, some inflection point where it's just like, the aha moment or whatever people call it, right? They say, hey, I got to take a pause here and just discern. There wasn't a moment. There was just a lot of soul searching. And early on in my 20s, I started seeing a therapist. 
as I was just wrestling with what do I want to do mm. with my life? And I actually still see her today. So after, I don't know, 15 years or so, I still work with her. And we've been working a lot on who am I and what do I have to offer this world? And mm. where is the best place for me to offer that? And how do I know that I'm walking in the right direction? So I think this is universal, right? Like oh. for anyone at this age, in your 20s, in your early 30s, it's like, what, what gifts do I have to offer? Am I on the and right path? And maybe even still in your 40s. Or, and maybe or 50s. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Mm-hmm. And so that was a lot of what I was wrestling with. And I just, I came to this conclusion that I would never know if I didn't take mm. the step for myself and try to do something on my own. And so I decided I became enamored with the idea of starting my own business. And I started my own footwear business. A and competitor. It was not a <laughs> <laughs> We, I, we, there was no one else. Blue I wings. <laughs> Blue wings. <laughs> no, I made women's specific footwear that was fashionable, but also not super expensive yeah. and, and God high love quality, you. right? Because it's like, God, I can't find shoes that fit really well that are comfortable that you know like you know someone in my age would want to wear but that i can also afford so this was the sweet spot that i was trying to trying to make i had this conversation with my dad again i'm sitting down with him and they lived in california at the time and we were walking down the beach i was like dad i gotta tell you i gotta tell you something and it was so hard (sighs) so hard and he was amazing i mean i think he just got it And maybe it's because he never did that himself. Mm -hmm. I don't know. He was so supportive. He just said, Allie, you got to do what you got to do. And I still love you. And you're still my daughter. And how can I help? And he did. He was my backbone as I went off and tried to do my own thing. He supported me financially. He supported me emotionally. He gave me advice. He offered connections to help me get going. And back then, you guys, I thought this was going to be the thing for me. Like I was going to be the next Tory Burch. <laughs> there's still time. Yeah. There's still time. Yeah, yeah, there's totally time. Who knows? You do this, you leave for three years. And then tell us a little bit about that process. And then what made you, obviously, we know you're, I you're came back. back. Yep. You came back. You boomeranged. Tell us about that decision then and, and kind of that process of being an entrepreneur. This was an incredible few years of my life because I had to do everything by myself. And so Mm -hmm. I had to learn business. I had to learn about how to create a brand, how to build a website, how to fulfill logistics, how to make product. I mean, I didn't go to design school. So I hired a design team. I hired, I had to find a factory and I literally got on a plane. My husband came with me and went to port. People don't just like pick up the phone if you're a manufacturer, (laughs) we literally, we went to Portugal and like showed up at doors of factories and talked about, this is my dream. This is my vision. This is what I want to do. So I had to find a factory. I had to figure out how to import shoes into the United States and then sell them. I mean, there were so many disasters. (laughs) What what was the name of the company? It was called Allie Marie. Allie Marie. Allie Marie. Yeah. I still have boxes of Allie Marie shoes. They're actually in the back of my car because we just moved. (laughs) (laughs) Allie Marie. And it felt like at that time that I was just a warrior. Like I was Mm -hmm. fighting these battles, fighting for my business, fighting for my future, fighting for my 
identity because at that point it was like, well, if I don't succeed at this, then who am I? You know, right. right? Do I have to, you know, hold my head up high? And so it was. It was an incredible experience. You decide. Yeah. You come to the point where I you're like, Ally Marie's not going to be the next yeah. Tory Burch, and <laughs> this is going to bed. <laughs> it was so hard. Mm. I mean, it's hard to be in the footwear business mm-hmm. because it's a saturated competitive environment. I did it, right? Like I had product lines that I sold successfully into stores and people bought them. I mean, that that's incredible for one person. It's amazing. It's right. A, yeah. And so I think I came to this moment where I was already like, I, I did this, you mm-hmm. know, I fought through barriers that I thought were completely insurmountable. And I missed being part of a team. You know, mm-hmm. I missed that collaborative environment. I missed having people to just troubleshoot problems with. And I remember this moment, I was at a footwear trade show in New York, and it still goes on today. It's called Fanny. And it was set up, I don't know if it still is, but it was set up in hotel rooms. So you literally, you're in a hotel room and people come to your hotel room to see your shoe collection. So I think most people actually, I'm sure most businesses get the, the room and like nobody sleeps there, but I was too right. cheap. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm not buying Hold another on, room. Hold on, let me make my oh, bed yeah, and yeah. then I'll line up my shoes. 100%. That's what it was. You make your bed. You have like a little, I don't know, like a hard thing to put on top of the bed that folds out like a tabletop and I'm lining my shoes up there. And there is this, and it's so hard. I had no brand recognition. I had no nothing. And I remember this buying group came in. They're like, well, we have. 13 stores on the East Coast. Literally, he comes to me like this. I could make or break your business. Like, are you freaking kidding me? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I could make or break your business. I thought, what am I doing here? Mm. Because we have this amazing company, Red Wing Shoe Company, that's been around for a hundred years. And I have this amazing opportunity to work for that business that has brand recognition, that has a team of amazing people, phenomenal culture. And I thought, boy, I'm in the wrong footwear business. <laughs> I'm in a hotel room I'm in a with hotel this room. guy telling me I can make or break What it. am I trying to prove at this point? You know? What'd you say to him when he said that to you? I don't remember. I think I was just gobsmacked. I was like, yeah, I, yeah I, okay. I mean, I'm not one for quippy comebacks. I remember having a um, meeting with our head of our heritage business at the time. And one of the other things that was going on is it was actually just really expensive to import products into the Mm. United States. And so I was thinking, well, maybe instead I'll make products in the United States because it was, it might actually be cheaper at that point. And, and would there be an opportunity to make, make my line in Red Wing? What would that look like? Why haven't we made products for women in the United States? And the head of our heritage business at that time said, well, we actually have a lot of demand for women buying our heritage products, but we just haven't had anyone to really spearhead that process. And at that moment, it was a done deal. It was like, oh my gosh, I want to do that. Let me spearhead. Mm. Let me create a women's heritage line and make it in the United States for women. So that that's what did it. I came back. I came back to the business and I was in charge of creating a women's heritage collection, which you know was super exciting, super fun. So that's what I did. I think we came back. I had a baby. I hired a designer. And the two of us, her name was Gall, built our Women's Heritage Collection. That was 
fun. That was one of the funnest opportunities that I had at the show. I love that. You come back. Allie Marie is. It's dead. Put away. We put it. We put it to bed. In the trunk of the car. <laughs> Box in, in the basement. Yeah. You come back. You launch the, the Woman's Heritage. Heritage. And then at what point are the conversations then about, okay, you know, next steps is let's prepare you. I know you worked with Mark and then obviously your dad advising for the yep. seat of president and CEO. When I came back, I think I, I had that in the back of my head, like, mm-hmm. this is it for me now. This is where I belong. This is my family. And so I think coming back, it was kind of with the appreciation that I'm going to stick around. Right. <laughs> I'm going to stick around this time. This is where I belong. And maybe, you know, it's interesting too, because kudos to you, because you took the opportunity to leave, to do something. And then really, it seems like you came back with that love and appreciation like this It took that to get you to this point. It did. It took leaving. It took knowing that I can stand on my own two feet Mm -hmm. and just the transformation that that brings, right? Mm -hmm. You know, going back to the resiliency and the confidence of thinking that you're going to fail, of reframing your perception of who you are in this world. That did that for me, right? right? And so when I came back, I was a different person. And, you know, in terms of having the conversations and the conversations picked up again, and what would I need to learn? What do I need to do? But starting the Women's Heritage Collection was a natural next step because I had a love for it, but I also had experience Mm -hmm. in selling and building women's footwear in the United States at this point, you know, not experience with a huge brand or anything, (laughs) but I knew how to do it. I knew the stores. I knew the consumer. And so it was a role that I was suited for. You know, and so I spent several years working on the women's line. And then what would be the next appropriate role, right? Like, what could I lean into that would leverage the learning and the experience that I had? And that was overseeing the whole heritage product creation Mm. team. And that kind of was a brain shift for me because instead of just being in charge of women's shoes, which I feel like I had an affinity for, (laughs) I was now in charge of the men's shoes as well. And men buy shoes a lot differently. I'm looking at you, David. (laughs) They have different expectations for how they wear. They have different ways of wearing their product. The male consumer of our heritage footwear is super passionate about this is not like a casual purchase for most men. This is something that they are into. And so that I came into with a certain level of, you know, gravity and trepidation, right? Like I can't fail at this because... This is something that's really important to people. So that was just a cool learning experience too, of really getting into the mind of business is not just about your own experiences. Business is about learning about that consumer, what they need, what their expectations are, what delights them and coming at it from that perspective. And so that, you know, I got through that. And then my next step was actually to be in charge of our VASC collection, And at that point, our Vask line was really, it was struggling. It's a brand that my grandfather started and I had a lot of heart and love for. And it just, sales had been slipping and it it kind of got to a place where it wasn't resonating with consumers as much anymore. So we needed to put some juice into Vask. And I love that opportunity. I love the vision and the strategy of trying to create a new brand, right? Mm. Trying to create what what does tomorrow look like for this brand? And so that was my endeavor with VASC. And it's kind of interesting when we put me in the VASC role, 
several of us came to this idea at the same time. So my thought was, you know, maybe I'll be in charge of the whole heritage brand. Like it's going to be important for me to be in charge of a brand at some point. And so that made the most sense. But given where our VASC business was, it just seemed like, gosh, this is a, you know, it's its own brand as opposed to the Red Wing Heritage brand, which is the same brand as our flagship brand. It's its own brand. It's a totally different consumer. It needs a lot in terms of transformation. So that seemed like an exciting opportunity for me. So kind of in my own head, I was like, gosh, what if this was the next step? And Mark, our CEO at that time, came to the same conclusion. So I remember sitting down in a conference room talking about what would my next role be? What does my succession plan look like? He's like, I have an idea. You do because I have an idea too. (laughs) Which was great. And then we talked to my dad about it. He's like, that sounds like a phenomenal next step. So that was super exciting. We actually did a whole brand relaunch with Basque. And I don't know, we could talk about that forever. But then things kind of hit the fan. We had COVID hit right when I was in the middle of our VASC relaunch, our brand relaunch. So COVID hit, put everything on ice. And then our company actually was hit by a cyber attack, which really brought us to our knees. It was a very traumatic moment for us to be a Red Wing shoe company. And that also was a huge setback for us. And at that time, they made the decision, which was not my idea, to become in charge of our business services role. So this encompassed our global retail operations. It encompassed our customer experience team. I was in charge of our sales enablement or like our revenue operations team. So this is the inside operations of our business that gives us the ability to make money. Okay. Right. But not as maybe sexy as like developing product and not as sexy as brand launches. launches. But super important mm. to the you know financial success and customer success as a business. And Mark had this idea of like, well, Allison has never been part of this. I, this is a piece of the business that I'm going to need to know a lot about to be successful leading this business. It was right before the cyber attack. I start this role weeks later, our business shut, like CE can't answer phones. Like our whole system was disconnected as we tried to get ourselves out of a cyber situation. And that was a you know life-changing experience because I'm trying to lead teams mm. who no longer have access to any of the technology that they use to do their jobs. We're no longer able to make, ship, or sell product because they all require systems. The only way that we could do our work was off of cell phones because we couldn't use our laptops because we weren't sure oh where gosh. within the network these bugs lived. So terrifying experience. We're through it. We're fine. Everything has been rebuilt. How long did it take you to get through that? I mean, it took us six months, I think, before we were able to start making and shipping product again. But years before we rebuilt everything. It was tough, you guys. It was tough. I don't envy that on anybody. And what would you say if you had to pick one takeaway from that experience? What would you say it is that? It was culture. It Mm. was culture. How do you rally an organization to do something there's no playbook for that they've not been trained to do that no one has ever done in our business before? And instead of finger pointing or trying to say, you know, who's responsible for what, that's not my job. Our teams came together and said, what do we need to do to make this company successful? I remember one person saying, this company is not going down on my watch. And that, I mean, 
you can't create that Mm -hmm. in the moment of Mm -hmm. crisis. That's something that you build and you foster as a business, as a community over years. And that is what brought us through the double crisis of COVID and a cyber attack with our employees who had to, I mean, weekends, nights, how do we get this thing back up and running? And our customers and our partners who we have longstanding relationships with to say, I can't ship you product. I can't pay you tomorrow. How are we going to get through this together? That's what brought us through. It was the culture. Wow. So then right after that, yeah. you became the CEO. Talk, yeah. talk about that. So talk about that move. Yeah. And, and were you ready for it? Or did you feel like there were still, oh, still I, you weren't quite oh up for it? Talk about your feelings. And I don't thoughts. know if you're ever ready for this mm-hmm. position. It's so different. But I actually, so after I did the business services role, I became president. And I was president for, I think, I don't know, six to nine months and then I had a baby. So I actually, I got pregnant again. I was president while I was pregnant. I had a baby. And when I, is this how it went? Yeah. When I came back from maternity leave, I would see. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's how it went. Maybe don't recommend. It's really, <laughs> it's really hard to take on a new role with an infant. That's tough. But that also, you know, don't let any good crisis go to waste. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that it's a crisis <laughs> to be a new mom and in a new role, but it's hard. Mm -hmm. But that also gave me such an appreciation for people show up to work in different ways. You've got different stuff going on in your life, whether it's a newborn or you're taking care of a parent or something happens in your life that requires you to be a a super person, you know, a super mom, a super woman, a super man in a different avenue of your life. And how do we meet people where they are when they go through those moments? I like to say sometimes the business shows up for you and sometimes you show up for the business, right? And in that moment, I had to do both, right? Like I had to show up for my family. I was breastfeeding. I had to pump and you know be on a schedule okay. that I could not control yes. to keep a tiny human mm-hmm. alive. And I had to be in board meetings and travel and be CEO, be the person to make the decisions. When you took that role, did your dad come to you? I have this cartoon bubble. Your dad comes to you who's passing down <laughs> wisdom from his dad, from his dad to the founder about like, was there any conversation like that? Like, here's wisdom from the original founder that he wanted to pass on to you. I don't know about from his dad or the original founder. He didn't know his grandfather. His grandfather died before he was born. But my dad has just always been really supportive. And I think for him, for anyone passing, this was a huge part of his life, right? And it's still a huge part of his life and his self-identity and who he is. And so passing that on to someone else to hold it and to say, this is yours to run with now, that takes just such an incredible amount of humility and trust and respect. And the conversations that we had were, how are we going to do this together? Is there a, you know, how do I best show up for you? Nobody really knows how to do this, I think. Mm. It's hard to find a graceful way to do that. And we're going to have disagreements about things because he's actually, he's still my boss. He's the chairman of our board, (laughs) right? And I had a conversation with him yesterday about the state of business. (laughs) It's, you know, in one breath, it's 
this is why the numbers are what they are. This is the, you know, this is the valuation of the business. Mm-hmm. This is the strategy for the future of the company. And can you babysit for me next yeah. week? <laughs> it's just a really Hey, by the way. By the way. <laughs> it's a really weird mm. reporting relationship, but it's also beautiful because we see each other in our whole selves. We see each other for who we are. And I try to take that onto my employees. You know, I'm not, I don't have that relationship with them, of course, but see you as this is your whole self. And sometimes you're going to have an off day. Sometimes your family's going to need something for you and you can't show up to work in the way that, you know, you would expect a vice president to show up for work or you expect an operator to show up for work. And we're going to navigate through that together. So how do you honor kind of the, the past and still, you know, with how consumers by their preferences is changing so much. How are you able to balance, or can you share a decision that you've made that you're trying to balance the past and the legacy and just all the great things that with the realities of today's consumer world? That is everything. I mean, that's everything right now. Because part of what makes Red Wing Shoe Company so special is that we have a 119-year history. Mm. Everyone has the story of their father or their grandfather or their family from generations ago wearing Red Wing boots and the experience that they had and what it meant for them in their lives. And you can't just take a right turn from that history and that heritage and be something totally different to people. So the work is how do we honor who we are, how do we honor our past and do that in a way that remains relevant and valuable to people today and to people tomorrow. And so these are conversations that we have all the time. And for me, it's about what is that experience when you put on a pair of Red Wings? It's that we've got your back, right? It's that no matter what you're doing, whether you're walking down the street with your dog or you're on a crane, installing a satellite, you have to make sure that you're able to do your best work or that you're able to live your best lives. And that no matter what, we're going to have you, we're going to have you. And so that is something that's enduring, right? Mm. That's something that no matter what decades you live in, you're going to, everyone's going to need boots to wear, right? Unless we live, you know, live in a Wally world where people are no (laughs) longer walking, That's an enduring service and experience and product that we can provide to consumers. But the way that people are shopping and the the materials that we use or the technology that we use to make those boots, that, that has to continue to change. And so that's where we can continue to be really innovative and to offer people a new way of shopping or a new experience. Like in our Red Wing shoe stores, we have what we call the UFX, a new fit experience where you can walk across a scanner and get, yeah, like a a 3D scan of your Mm -hmm. foot. And that's super cool. Our our competitors don't have, they don't have stores as, as, you know, they don't have 700 stores across the world, but they also don't have the ability to, you know, walk across this foot scan and have a 3D scan emailed to you immediately and then be able to link that back to, well, this is the best shoe for you based on the shape of your specific foot and then a 3D printed insole based on your foot. So those are, you know, those are ways that we can continue to innovate. That's super cool. Well, they make me taller. I, you know, I'll be working on that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, I love your story because I feel like all the things going back to when you were in college, you know, your global experience, your then 
taking a year off with Pacer, then leaving and creating Allie Marie and being in a family business, but yet you've had these different experiences that I would think as a CEO help you build culture and not to mention starting on in product in a low level position to where, yes, you're a family member running the business, but you've had all these different experiences along the way that you bring into it. So I think it's just such a super cool story. It really is. Congratulations. Well, it's been a fun life to live so far. And it's, you know, one of the things that I think about is for my whole career, I've never been in the same job for more than two or three years. I'm like, well, you know, now I'm here. <laughs> right. I've, <laughs> I've hit this role and hopefully I stick with it for a long time, but only long enough to where I'm adding value, right? Where there's still something that I can provide, but it's probably going to be longer than two or three years. So hopefully I'll actually be able to dig my feet in a little bit and, and uh, grow with the role. I suspect you will. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. Let's do a couple rapid fires. How would people describe your leadership style? I think people would describe it as transparent, collaborative, hopefully empathetic. Want me to elaborate? (laughs) (laughs) So where would we find you most Saturday mornings? I'm at home on Saturday mornings, usually making pancakes for my kiddos. Mm. Yeah. Family time Saturdays, 100%. You talked about travel. Where's the next place you want to go to? We're going to Disney World. In March. Oh, yeah. Yep. First time for my kids to go to Disney World. We got our magic bands in the mail yesterday. You talk about client experience. Yeah. Disney's got it dialed in. Oh, yeah. Yes. They've actually brought them in a couple of times to give us presentations on how they do it. They're amazing. I went through that years ago with my old employer when I was in Florida, and it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. What about legacy? What do you want your legacy to be when eventually... You know, we talked about culture. We mentioned a little bit about leadership style. And I think one of the opportunities for family businesses is because we're not so tied to quarterly earnings reports and share price fluctuations, we tend to have the opportunity more to look further into the future and to take a lot of different stakeholders into account when we're making business decisions. So it's not just about the return, right? It's not just about shareholder creation, although it continues to be an important piece of it. It's about what is the impact that we're having on generations to come? What is the impact that we're having on our employees? What is the impact that we're having on communities? And my goal for Redwing Shoe Company is that we can be an example in the Twin Cities, in the world as a global business, of a business that's thriving, that's relevant, that's innovative, that is well-respected for the business but also a pioneer in terms of balancing the ambition and the care of -hmm. taking care of its employees, taking care of its stakeholders, its customers, our vendors, our partners, doing the right thing, you know, but also being wildly financially successful. That's the dream. Yeah, that's awesome. You mentioned taking care of people. What do you do? What hobbies? How do you decompress? Well, I love to read. So I, I would love to just like curl up in front of the fire with a novel fiction fiction that has nothing to do with business mm-hmm. that's how i kind of get outside of my own head i love it congratulations thank you so much for being well, here well thanks today. for having this me so great yeah awesome thank you thanks for downloading off the record be sure to subscribe at apple podcasts spotify or your favorite podcast platform 
And to learn more, visit bizjournals.com slash off the record. This podcast is a presentation of the Minneapolis St. Paul Business Journal in partnership with Platinum Bank. Copyright 2024. All rights reserved.